well. Here we are. Indeed. Looking at each other. Gazing. Longingly. Even. Lovingly. Sexily. I wouldn't go so far as to say erotically. I would. But fair enough. I am not wearing pants, as usual. And I am not wearing socks. Which is just weird. <laughs> it's highly awkward. Coming to you almost live from inside a big vat of beer. This is the Unknown Studio. I'm Scott. I'm Adam. And we are your inebriated hosts. It's true. Guestless and inebriated. The gentleman that we asked to be on the show with us this week could not make it because he is planning a wedding. And we're not going to tell you who it is. No. But we will say that at the last minute, he was like, I can't make your show because I've got important things to do. And we're like... What's more important than our show? And he said, good point. But my future wife will kill me if I don't do what she says. And that was fairly legit. And we basically told him, that's going to set the tone for the rest of your marriage, young sir. And then he cried. Wept bitter crocodile tears. It was really... It was kind of pathetic, actually. Uh, I was going to say moving, but now that I think about it, it was really quite pathetic. Actually, you know, I lied. We do have a guest on the show tonight. Our guest on the show tonight is <laughs> Granville Island's Brockton IPA. India Pale Ale. Yes. I don't know how they managed to cram all that India into this beer down on Granville Island, but damn if it doesn't taste fine. It, you can taste the India. <laughs> and they, they're not paying us to say any of this. In fact, we fully expect a cease and desist order to arrive momentarily. And there it is. Oh, yep. There it is. Right on time. Who knew they had mail service at this hour? And also uh, monitored the internet before things were even loaded up to them. It's amazing what uh, the legal system is like nowadays. Indeed. I remember before when you had to sue somebody, you'd have to get on your horse and ride down to the county, whoever the fuck can write, because you couldn't because you were too dumb. Not you. Scott. You'd have to uh, you'd have to hire both a barrister and a solicitor because they were not the same person. And you needed a scribe because let's face it, back then you weren't educated. No. All you knew is that someone was going to get sued, and that someone, ladies and gentlemen, today is us. We're sorry, Granville Island. Seriously, though, the Granville Island is. Pretty good. It's a, it's a pretty decent good quality beer. of beer. Scott demanded before I came over, uh, knowing that we wouldn't have a guest, he said, well, then bring beer. Thinking, I think, that it would be interesting. Well, it's certainly more interesting than us not having beer and talking for an hour. Yeah, and, and I think that inside of five minutes, we've already proven that that is not the case. <laughs> that that no. we, we are going to spend the next little while actually wasting your time but hopefully wasting your time in an entertaining fashion i i think so i think so because uh, we have things that we can talk about yeah and and all good and, and op- opine upon yes all good and riveting conversations begin with the weather which as you know is quite glorious 
Uh, it's getting better, that's for sure. Well, and it's one of those things, like, I know that I know that's kind of a non-starter for most people, but, and, and we've talked about this before, weather is, like it or not, more than just small talk in this city. Uh, because it can change abruptly. Dramatically. Like, the weather can change so abruptly that you will go flying through the windshield if you didn't put on your seatbelt. Yeah. Except it's weather. Uh, oh, yes, I see what you're saying. <laughs> Brockton, you've done it again. A little slow on the uptake today. Uh, definitely. Because of the beer. And the lack of guest to keep me in line, to, to make me behave. Uh, on the subject of the weather, nice enough that there was some barbecue action recently. Really? That said, I have barbecued in very cold weather before because I enjoy barbecuing. But uh, I'm more inclined to barbecue, to uh, pull out some steaks, throw them on a grill to, with to some fire. Really just to whip out your meat. And uh, and burn it. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> that sounds horrible. But uh, yes. But delicious. Uh, when, the, uh, when the weather turns, it is certainly... De- uh, time to uh, barbecue more often. You know, I never really got the. Uh, I, I never really got why people thought it was weird that that certainly my family barbecued during the winter all the time. My family didn't really. Really, but I think it's just because my dad didn't want to go outside in the cold and deal with the barbecue. And my mom marched my dad out there like he was a you know a young corporal in the army, and she was el generalissimo, <laughs> or sorry, isima. There you go. Uh, but yeah, we we would have a shovel out back on on our back porch, and uh, and when the snow fell and it was time to grill a steak, Dad just went out there and shoveled a, a small path and and I mean Rachel and I have been u- using the barbecue all winter long. Now we well, you probably don't have much snow on your deck. Exactly, we've got you know we're eight stories up. There's there's a, an overhang. It's not a big deal, but it can be really f- and well, it can be cold. But I will say this winter has been uh, knock on wood. Um, Remarkably mild. Well, I think that we're far enough into kind of springtime uh, transition period that, yeah. that we can say that there's probably not going to be another tremendous cold blast. I'm not going to say it's not going to get cool again, but I mean, relatively speaking, I don't think we're going to be hitting like minus 20 again. I, I, I hope you're right. I, th- I, I could be wrong. I we, think you are. We've, we've had, like, minus 15 weather in July before. It happens. Yeah. But I'm thinking that we're probably out of the woods, as it were. Well, and this, how it all happened is that uh, <laughs> I remember even uh, Josh Clausen and, and his ilk uh, talking about how this— You mean weather people? That's what I mean. Okay. Weather people, yes. That's the Meteorologists? Non, that's, the, that's the racist term. Weather wizards? <laughs> Voodoo magicians? Um, but he, I remember them talking about how it was going to be a devastatingly cold winter. And I, I even recall people saying, you thought last winter was bad? <laughs> oh, boy! Look out for this winter. But apparently when they threw their sticks up in the air to determine... <laughs> <Their> chicken bones? <laughs> to see where they would <laughs> fall and determine what the winter would be like, they were mistaken. They were obviously mistaken. I mean, when it was it, on Christmas Day... When I sat down to play <laughs> Skyrim, I did so with the patio door open because it was like six degrees and there was no snow. And we even managed to drive down to Calgary, Rachel and I, over Christmas, as you well know, listener, because you care about such things, our lives. Uh, and, you know, the worst snow that we had was probably a week or a week and a half ago. We went to Banff uh, a few weeks back, about mm-hmm. a month ago, and uh, it was above zero virtually our entire trip. 
And was it windy? I find when it's warm in the mountains, it's, it, it, particularly you know, it this was time a little year. breezy. But yeah. I mean, overall, I mean, the windiest it was was on the lake. We went skating on a frozen lake. Nice. And uh, it was that was a little more on the cold side of things. But overall, it was temperate. It was it was not like mountain Alberta winter weather that you would expect. Yeah. Not the kind perfect of... skiing weather, but definitely not, you know, blizzards and knee-deep snow. And Now, having said that, I don't believe that uh, the mountain resorts in Alberta have been wanting for snow. No, they, they tend to get snow at higher altitudes, even when uh, we here in the desert uh, are without precipitation. So, And so, it, is it still a drought in Alberta? Hasn't it technically been a drought here for a long time? I think so. I think it's been a drought here for like five years. I think it's still a drought. I think. I think we, this... we live in a desert, basically. Yeah. yeah, we do. So minus the scorpions. Well, cool desert. Yeah, the Siberia is a desert. <laughs> so is the Sahara. They're just two different kinds of desert. That's true. That is very true. My bedroom is a love desert. In that it is prickly, bereftho. <laughs> <laughs> Prickly was the right answer. Yes, that is correct. Absolutely. So it is spring, nearly. Spring-esque, spring-ish. And there's it some, is pre-spring. It is. It, it, it's 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 in it's the lead up to pre-spring right now in Edmonton, um, which means the city is about to get a lot more interesting. I mean, that's just the way it is here. Winter yeah. is uh, is decidedly mellow, although they've they've tried to do certain things over the last few years that uh, to sort of. Make things more interesting. And to a certain degree of success, might I add. I would think so. Uh, I know that Winter Light it didn't go off this year, but uh, had in previous years and was at least uh, a little bit successful. Now, did you hear a lot about Metropolis? Not much. Yes. Admittedly. And so it, Metropolis was sort of the Winter Light replacement. It went on for a couple of months and involved these structures that they built on Churchill Square that... Apparently, were kind of neat, but just not used well enough. The major complaint that I heard, and actually, there's a couple of great bloggers you can read who've written on this, including journalist slash blogger Paula Simons and uh, Sharon Yo, who's a food blogger in Edmonton, but um, also blogs about events and such. She and her boyfriend Mac Mail, who's been on the show, all talked about it. Metropolis was a great idea, poorly executed. That's, I hate to say it, but that seems to be kind of the case with most festivals in Edmonton when they start out. I'm not saying blanket all festivals in Edmonton are non-starters. I mean, the first couple years, it's like, it's a really good idea, let's go and do this, and then, eh. And it takes a couple years to really have it get, build up some steam. And I think Winterlight was just starting to do that, and then they decided to do something different this year. And I think that was a mistake. I agree. Um and, I mean, give Metropolis another couple of years, it might be rather successful. But um, in my experience, at the very least, no festival that has ever started in Edmonton has been like, boom, right out the gate in the lead. It's It's been slow to start. Yeah. And I guess one of the major criticisms of Metropolis was they were light on programming and spent a lot of their budget on the structures that you saw in Churchill Square. The other part of that is... It's it it proclaimed itself to be a winter festival, and yet these structures were built to keep the winter out. Yeah, you need to have some outside stuff. For yeah, winter festival. Like, like I know that a lot of people aren't 
keen on the cold. But but look at something like, like what they do on New Year's Eve on Churchill Square. It's usually really cold, and there are thousands of people out there. Because it's fun. Yeah. And that's what you need to do. You need to give people a reason to go out in their parka and their toque and their scarf and enjoy the outdoors. And people will come. I remember going winter camping when I was a Cub Scout. And it was super fun. And no it way. was freezing cold every <laughs> I think there was one year where it was above zero when we went winter camping. But there was at least one where it was pushing minus thirty a couple times. And we had a blast because you can have fun in the snow. Yeah, you just have to be dressed for it. And I think the other major component of any winter festival in this city has to be giant drums on fire. Mm-hmm. Big oil drums on fire, like hobo style. That should probably be the logo for Metropolis next year. Flaming bucket. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's my thing. That's that's where you're going with You've that. just been rebranded, Metropolis. You're welcome. You'll get the bill next week. But yeah. Uh, what What's one of the first... To me, one of the things over the last year or two that has really sort of been a signal uh, that spring is here... Um, not only, of course, the snow going away and all that stuff, but it is the uh, the first Mother's Day is the big one to me, and unfortunately, Mum's at Calgary, so can't really. I'm not not going down there for Mother's Day. Mom, you should come up here seriously. But even before that uh, is the Calgary Expo. When you start hearing a lot of news about the Calgary Expo, you know spring is here, and probably some characters from Star Trek are here too. Or in this case, all of the characters. Yeah, from Star that's Trek. right. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, and then, of course, there's all the wonderful summer festivals that we always talk about. And because we're not on the air during the summer, because Scott and I both need breaks, um, you'll notice that uh, this past season has been rather tumultuous in terms of us getting things out when we have scheduled them. You probably haven't noticed because we never tell anyone what the schedule is. <laughs> but we try to keep a schedule. And this year has been, this season, shall we say, yeah. season three. three of the Unknown Studio has been... A little more, uh, I don't want to say haphazard, but we have not been keeping to our schedule as, as well as we might have liked. No. We've both been tremendously busy. However, the next uh, the next run of shows to the end of the season, which is usually on, our, on or around our birthday at the end of June, are going to knock your fucking socks off. Except for Scott, who isn't wearing socks. You should get some of those sock garters. Who wears and then, those? And then that might keep your socks on. So explain this to me. Do you attach the sock garters to your boxer shorts? No, I think they just wrap around your calf, don't they? I don't know. I mean, it's not its not like a garter belt, which is for stockings. Which which I don't wear. <laughs> Shh. Why would you accuse me of that? A suspiciously specific denial. Yeah, I'm not wearing stockings right now. What the fuck? Boy, this beer's good. Um, yeah, because if you're attaching the socks to your boxers, your boxers are going to start sliding down unless you're wearing... <laughs> are there are there under underwear suspenders? Well, then you're just basically... You might as well just attach the socks right around your shoulders. Shoulder socks. There you go. Holy fuck. How has that not been invented yet? I oh, think wait. Technically I... long underwear. <laughs> sure. Ah, so you're wearing then their shoulder socks. <laughs> Just like <laughs> hillbilly fashion. <coughs> That's what we're here for. Sounds like you're still sick. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a month ago, a little more, I had the flu. Still have a cough. You know, I think I think maybe the, the weird weather fucked with everybody this year because 
there were an, an inordinate number of people in my life who got very sick, uh, including you and a few, Rachel and even myself, over the last three months. Uh, the same kind of happened to me. A lot of people, especially at work, mm-hmm. I noticed a lot of people going down for the count for uh, several days at a time. Not just like, oh, I'm not feeling well today, back in tomorrow. I mean, like, a week of bedridden ill health. It's, uh, it, it's been a hell of a year for that. Yeah, not great. Not great. And, and don't worry about it, because the government's putting the healthcare system back together after all these inquiries, so no one will ever get sick again. I don't think it works that way. I, I th- that's, I, that's what my MLA promised me. Maybe. <laughs> Who's your MLA? God, I don't know. Edmonton Center. Oh, um, Lori Blakeman. Oh, there you go. Yeah, so she has no real power to do anything. No. Her fortunes have declined. Who's your MLA? Uh, member of the Legislative Assembly? Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, is Edmonton Mill Woods what the riding is called for the province? Y- yes. I, think it is. I feel like it is. Oh, no, you have Carl Benito. I believe you're right. Oh, no. Because I moved here after the last provincial election, so yes. I'm not as familiar with who my MLA is. I know who my... Uh, MP is. That's Who's, Mike Lake. Right, right. Well, there was, um, yeah, just an election. So. But, uh, well, he was my MP even before that. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not as familiar with my MLA. And who's your, uh, who's your city councillor? Uh, my city councillor is, in fact, uh, Kerry Diot. Is it? I think so. I, I'm not sure. Pretty sure that he's, uh, he's Mill Woods. Now I'm trying to remember how they redrew all the ward maps. Yeah, because now that I've said it, I might have someone different. I'm I'm 80% certain I have Kerry Diot. <laughs> I think mine is Jane Batty. And you should be aware of who your city councillor is because your municipal politics more directly impact your life than provincial or federal politics. Uh, this is Adam coming to you almost live from Happy Harbor downtown. And I'm here with Jay Bardilla to talk about the 12-hour comic jam challenge now first of all jay what is a comic jam challenge (laughs) well the the event is normally just a comic challenge but the format that we're doing it this year is in our jam style and our what we do is a couple times a month we have jam nights at the store our artists come in sit down they have paper and they draw one panel of a comic in 12 minutes. And then every 12 minutes, they trade pages. So you develop this story with multiple individuals constantly changing art styles. And the challenge there is that you're always having to like read what came before and continue the story. Now we're just taking that to a whole new level. We're taking it to you have to do an entire page of story every hour for 12 hours, and you're going to get a new story every hour. So you begin a story, and then we're also going to set it up so that your story will come back to you. So you also end your story, but the nine pages in between will be done by other people there at the challenge. And, uh, and that's where it's, it's tough enough to draw it, but now it's like, what went on? What happened? I have to read this whole thing, and now I have to come up with an ending? Like, holy cow. It's, uh, it's really cool. We did it a few years ago as our, uh, one of our fundraiser things. People had a lot of fun. It was time to bring it back and, uh, and kick it up again. It sounds kind of cool, but but every hour there's more stuff to read, isn't there? So so do you, is there some allowance in the time for that? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> nope. You just read fast. That's all it is. And, and I know, like from experience, it, it in my mind I was like, this isn't going to work because you get the twelfth hour, you got eleven pages of story to read. That's going to take you a good ten minutes, and it's like, well, too bad, you know. 
read fast. <laughs> well, I think by the end of it, we'll see some interesting scribbles for sure. Um, who? What's the purpose of the event? What, it's a charitable event. Who are you guys supporting this year? It is. We are supporting what is now known as the Boys and Girls Club Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Edmonton and Area Organization. Um, oh my God! I hope no one includes that in their comic strip. You'll be reading forever. Uh, it's it just it was uh, we had always been a supporter of Big Brothers Big Sisters, and this past year they've merged with the Boys and Girls Club, so they have now this huge name. But uh, in the six years we've done this previous, previously, we've raised uh, just a little under thirteen thousand um, dollars, and so now this year we're kind of hoping to get a nice little bump. Let's break that fifteen mark, which would be kind of sweet. And uh, and and they're really really appreciative of it. They're a fantastic organization. Um, kids and comics always kind of go hand in hand. The whole reason we actually started supporting them was uh, we, we put it out to the, the, the fans of Happy Harbor and said, you know, we're going to do this fundraiser. Who do you want us to support? And uh, Big Brothers, Big Sisters came back as the, uh, the far and away winner, and we've developed a great relationship with them over the years. Um, they support us. We support them. And not just at this fundraiser, but they'll contact us when they have other events and see if that we have artists that can go out um, and help out uh, with their picnics and other charities and stuff like that too. So we do try to like take it just beyond the single day. Um, here we're giving you money. Um, you know, you, you try to develop a relationship with them and, and do other stuff. So well, that sounds great. And so, how many artists are going to be here at Happy Harbor uh, drawing comics? And what do they need to do? What do other artists need to do to sign up? Um, to sign up, you can just shoot us an email to the store hhv1 at happyharborcomics.com. No you in the harbor. Um, <clears throat> well, there's me in the harbor, but you can be in the harbor if you show up. Okay, anyway. We're it's the American spelling of harbor. Yes, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> you can drop us a line to say you want to take part. Uh, we do have it up on our website as well if you go to happyharborcomics.com, or you can also find us on Facebook, and we have an event posted for it as well. Uh, if you want to join in, really all you need are 12 sheets of paper, a pencil, and some kind of Sharpie or a couple Sharpies, whatever you like. Um, we usually sit at around between a dozen to 18 uh, participants each year. Um, right now, I think we're about at a dozen. And I mean, almost in a lot of ways, 12 is the perfect number. Um, that just brings you right back full circle, right? So, or actually, 11 is the perfect number because then you would just circle around. But um, the more we have, the better it is. Um, the, the entry fee for participating is that if you want to join us, we just ask that you do a little bit, you do the, some fundraising. You go out and collect a minimum of $50, which is pretty easy to do. If you know 10 people, it's 5 bucks a head. Um, collect your $50, bring it with you, and then Happy Harbor will match $0.10 cents for every dollar that's collected and donated during the course of the day. So even if you don't draw, you know, if you're not, ah, I don't want to be punked out and the pressure of one hour would be too much, um, you can just come by, see what's going on. We'll have a little donation bucket there, toss in a couple of dollars, and, and just support these people because, you know, it, what they're doing is really, really challenging. And even though it's, I say it's only 12 hours because we do a 24-hour event as well, um, but the 12-hour the thing, it's, it's really tough. It's like it's creatively challenging uh, to sit there and, again, to get a brand-new story every hour and continue that story. Um, it's not just you know, exercising your hand to draw all this stuff out. It's exercising your brain uh, to really do something creative, inspiring, and keep a story going. So other than, than coming in and donating or even participating as an artist, it, are people, are we asking uh, individuals if they happen to be coming in the store that day to maybe bring snacks or, or things to help to encourage the artist? 
Yeah, we do as well. We have people like Happy Harbor ponies up. We we supply some water and we make sure that there's some snacks there and keep going. But we certainly uh, encourage people to come by. And even if you if you see like if you, if you look at one of these artists and they look like they're really really hungry or you know mal malnourished, uh, you know just bop over to Tins there, pick them up a little sandwich or something, and just go here. You you look sad and pathetic. Eat this and maybe you'll do better. Um, we certainly you know uh, people are more than welcome to come down and and toss anything to help keep the artist going along cool. well good luck with the event that's on uh friday or sorry saturday march 17th on saint patty's day and that starts at 9 a.m is that right uh our doors will open at nine so the artist can come in and get settled the art uh, begins at 10 o'clock so the art goes from 10 to 10 okay well good luck to you and good luck to the artist great thank you very much thanks jay have you considered sponsoring or advertising on a local podcast? Well, this is your opportunity. The Unknown Studio is looking for advertisers. If you're interested, contact Adam at theunknownstudio.ca or Scott at theunknownstudio.ca, and this space could be filled with your ad. Now, back to the show. We should take a moment. Yeah. How, could, how, how do we forget to do that every time? How do, how do I forget? Uh, and thank our sponsor, someone who's been with us since... Jesus wore cowboy boots. Which, coincidentally, was not at the beginning of our podcast. No. But they've been with us a long time. <laughs> and uh, we like to give a little shout-out to them. Yeah, we're talking about... Uh, the Hogwarts of digital media here in Edmonton, led by the Dumbledore of digital media, Owen Barley. And, of course, we're referring to Guru Digital Arts College. So you should uh, watch your stoop because you might one day see an owl uh, come flying by with an invitation to their magical downtown uh, estate. Yeah. Where uh, they engage in the magic of online digital media. Yeah. You want to learn you to make be, a website? You will be sorted into a house. <laughs> and by house, I mean classroom with a teacher who will teach you what you want to learn. That's right. And some of it is sequential art and illustration. Some of it is web design and development. Some of it is uh, really random in whatever you want to learn about. But uh, if you are considering a change in career, you are interested in the digital media environment. You want to uh, put your stamp on the internet an indelible stamp that will never go away, unless it was on GeoCities, because that's long that's, gone. That's forget about that. Uh, then you can certainly do much worse, and almost no better in Edmonton, <laughs> than Guru Digital Arts College. Well played. Now, here's a question for you. <clears throat> when people, When you talk to people about politics variously, do you find generally that most of them know who they're who their representatives are at all orders of government? No. Same here. I find that really disturbing. Or people who, who tell me they vote in elections, but they make the decision like that day because they haven't been paying attention to the whole election. I've heard that before. I also know a lot of people who vote on party lines, and it doesn't matter who's running, which is a shame because there are... Like, I can, I can fundamentally understand why you would vote for a party. Yeah. I don't like the Liberals or the NDP, so I'm going to vote for the Tories, no matter what. I I know people who do that. But at the same time, there are some Tory MPs and MLAs 
in this province who don't do anything. Yeah. Who are who are worthless. And I'm I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to uh, perjure myself on on our podcast here. But and, and that's I'm not trying to just pick on the Tories here. There are liberals who are the same. There are oh, hell yeah. the same. There are independents who don't do anything. There are politicians in this country and in this province and I know this is going to be shocking for you to understand. Brace yourselves. Who don't do a damn thing <gasps> and just collect your taxpayer dollars for their paycheck. And it's a shame that they continuously get elected despite the fact they don't do anything. And it's entirely them riding on the party name and not on anything they actually do. And I think my personal belief is you should be voting for your representative, for the person who's going to best represent your riding in in whatever political arena you're voting for, whether it be city council up to the parliament. But I know that most people don't do that. Yeah. And uh, I, I understand why, even if I don't personally necessarily agree with it. Now, we've talked with, uh, we've had Dave Cornway on the show with uh, uh, Duncan Voitasek. This was a while ago. I think it was right around the, might have been the last federal election. I believe you are correct. Because I don't think we've had a provincial election since we started the show. No, but there has been a leadership race. And I think that's where, in my brain, I get confused because the. the we did not talk to anybody about the No, we race, didn't. Though. We we did uh, talk to people during the civic election. And we yes. spoke to people during the federal election. So it must have been before the last federal election. Yeah. And we, we talked a lot about this notion of post partisanism where there's a, there's a sort of groundswell of people who, have, who don't want to vote based on party. They, they want to be more engaged with the candidates and figure out what it is that they individually stand for. And I feel like there is a bit of a movement in that direction, but the, the general public, like the, the term postpartisan, that's inside baseball for politicos, right? It, uh, the sad truth is most politicians are also very partisan. Mm -hmm. So even if there are a lot of people, uh, a lot of voters, I should say, uh, a lot of constituents who are starting to uh, enter kind of a post-partisan era where they're more interested in the candidates than the parties, that is not the case with the politicians yeah. who are uh, very partisan. And I mean, Canada's not as bad as the states where things are scarily partisan, where where it's almost violently partisan. Um, but I feel that there are a lot of politicians who want to move in that direction and that frightens me. I don't want that in our country. I'd like things to be more respectful and more uh, open and for there to be communication even over party lines. And that's not the case in the States. And that's why the United States from a, uh, uh, I want to say from a policy standpoint, can't do anything anymore. It's, it's, at, a, it's at a standstill in, in the sense of it can't move forward because neither party can get anything done because the other party is just 100 uh, percent devoted to preventing the other party from doing anything. Yeah, yeah. It's not about it's not about good policy. It's not about common ground. Yeah. It's it's and as you say about good policy, it's about s shutting the other guy down. There's yeah. There's no consensus politics in the United States anymore because it's always Democrat versus Republican, and it. F I feel like in a lot of ways, I, this is how I feel. Like I'm not going to be able to back this up with proof or science but that's that's how i sense federal canadian politics are moving i feel like i mean particularly around this robocall scandal which is a scandal this is a fucking scandal you guys just the same way that ad scam was a scandal this is worse though because people were 
actively preventing other citizens from voting. I said this on Twitter, and there were a couple of people who got back to me uh, from surprising sources, actually, who agreed with me. Um, and that is that in our country, we have a democracy. We have a representative democracy. Mm-hmm. But the uh, the foundation of that is that everyone gets an opportunity to have their say in who represents them. And it doesn't matter the party. It doesn't matter the politician. It doesn't matter the source. If even one person from any source has been prevented from going and voting honestly in the election, then our entire democratic process has been compromised. Yeah. If even one vote is fraudulent or one person had their vote suppressed, the entire system has been compromised. And it doesn't matter if that vote counts. It doesn't matter if that vote was the, the, the deciding vote. That does not matter. It means that one person was prevented from being able to vote, and that means that they were prevented from having their say in their representative, and that means that our government has been compromised. Yeah, along with our Constitution, elections are the foundation of our government. And one of our three tenets in our country is good government. Yeah. So I agree. It is a scandal. And it doesn't matter if the liberals were doing it, they're in the wrong. If the NDP were doing it, they're in the wrong. If the conservatives were doing it, they're in the wrong. And I know that there are people who say, well, all the parties are doing it. Then all the parties are wrong. Yeah, that is something. And they should all be investigated. Absolutely. And whoever was responsible for it should go to prison. The thing that bothers me, one of the things that bothers me the most about this whole scandal is, well, there's two. One is that I I think that a lot of people don't think it's a scandal, and maybe that's because they're politically disengaged, which is terrible. I think that it's political. They don't feel that their vote matters anyway, so if somebody was trying to mess with it, who cares? So our, our system is fundamentally broken. The other thing that bothers me is that, you know, it wasn't like, uh, it wasn't like Prime Minister Harper in question period said, we're going to get to the bottom of this. It was more like, this wasn't us. There's no fucking way this was us. This is a liberal trick. This is a, an issue that is so important, that should be so important to every elected official in this country, that they should, wherever it's coming from, they should want to get to the bottom of it. And that should be the first thing they say. Well, And the worst thing, the worst thing is, if, you've, if, you're, if you're caught with your hand in the cookie jar, you don't say that your hand's not in the cookie jar. You you invest you you say let's take a look at whose hand is in the cookie jar and you look and if your hand is indeed in the cookie jar, you apologize. Yeah, um, I kind of messed up my metaphor there, but uh, now all I can think about is cookies. But the the point I'm trying to get at is even even if it turns out it was nothing, you say let's investigate it, and then. If it turns out there was some element of your party, some rogue faction off in the corner snickering evilly in the shadows that was responsible for it, you have the moral high ground still. You can point your finger at them and condemn them, and you look like the hero. Yeah. To say, oh, there's no way this happened. And then the investigation goes anyway, and it turns out that this rogue faction of your party was responsible, you're tarred with the same brush. You look just as bad as them because it looks like you had something to hide. Absolutely. And from from a strictly political standpoint, it is the wrong choice to just go, eh, it's someone else's fault. We had nothing to do with it. You say, no, let's take a look at this. We will get to the bottom of it. If there is someone who is responsible, they will be taken to task. 
That is the mature thing to do. And that is the politically responsible thing to do. And that is what a strong leader would do. And I guess at the end of the day, we've talked about Canada not having statesmen anymore. We have party leaders who wind up being prime minister. We need and someone who will say, who will stand up and say, I don't care what anyone else thinks. This is fucked up. And we need to figure this out for the benefit of everyone, including the opposition. You know, it doesn't matter. Indeed. And no one has done that. Like, this is something that can be said of every party leader and of all the parties, is that they're too busy pointing fingers at one another. Nobody is, nobody looks good. Yeah. And it's sad. It, it makes me sad. It does. I mean, I can see, I mean, I'm starting to feel, you know, consequently disengaged, but I'm not going to let that happen because I'm stubborn and I still care about this country. And I think that, you know, government is a way to affect change in a country. Um, but really, I mean, Bob Ray, the leader of the liberals, should have should have come out and been the leader. If, if, if Stephen Harper wasn't going to step up, he should have said, you know what, whoever did this, we need to find out who it is. Because shit is all fucked up. And it shouldn't happen and you whether know you're the opposition I would, or not. I would go so far as to say that he would have looked better. Agreed. If Harper went, oh, it's not my party. Clearly, it's a liberal trick for him to say, okay, you know what? We are going to get to the bottom of this. I will, from the top down, look at my party and make sure that no one was responsible for this. And if someone was, they will pay the full price yeah. for the, the federal crime that they have committed. And... That would have made him look better. But he didn't do that either. Nope. And they're too busy fighting party against party. That's just the way it is right and now. And this wraps right back around to that partisan politics. And here we are, yeah. It's full which, circle. Which clearly most Canadians don't agree with since they are disengaged. Voter turnouts are at an all-time low. Um, you know, how do you fix it? Less focus on party, I guess. More and focus on, like, real elections. I think it comes down to engaging yourself with your constituents, and that means spending less time fighting your political opponents and more time building bridges with the communities you're supposed to represent. Yeah, and fighting for your constituents. Yes, and I mean, that's something that up-and-coming politicians should be doing, too. They should be getting involved in their communities. They should be uh, making the case for why they should be elected in the next election. Years in advance. Years in advance. And... So that when when election time comes, they can make the the case that I'm I'm one of you. I'm engaged with the community. I helped with this project. I helped with this project. That's the kind of stuff I want to continue to do when I get into the legislative assembly or city council or parliament. And I know that there are some politicians who do that. Yeah. And I respect them for doing that. Even if they don't get elected, no matter what party they're in, I respect them for doing that because that is the right way to approach politics. But there are a lot of people who just... They play the game. They play the game. And, I mean, that's one way to get ahead in politics. Is it the right way? Maybe that's debatable. Interesting to note that at a municipal level in Canada, generally, we do not have parties, except in the city of Vancouver. I think Toronto as well, I heard. They're talking about bringing it in, Hmm. which I think is a shitty idea. I think that is a terrible idea. Because I think at the municipal level, we're talking about consensus governance. Like, you need to convince enough people that your idea initiative or whatever merits their votes and it's it's more to me about making an argument i know that i mean people can align themselves with personality or whatever 
and and they can form little cliques or, or factions. And they certainly do. But I feel like those are more malleable and flexible at the municipal level. If you... Party politics means that you have to inevitably toe the party line. It means that you have to adhere to the party platform. And that means that in situations where a policy or uh, a law or a bill that does not uh, positively affect your constituents and your riding or your ward or whatever comes into uh, effect, you have to vote for it because you're expected to because it's what the party wants. And you, you effectively are betraying your direct constituents. And I know that there are people who will vote against party lines on occasion, but it's rare. It is rare Well, in, in both provincial and federal elections. Yeah. And it's frowned upon by the majority and certainly the leadership of the party, and you can get punished for it by the party. And especially on the municipal level, where you so directly influence the lives of the people in your ward, it is so important for you to have their best interests in mind first and nothing else. Yeah, and be absolutely flexible to to make decisions based on... <laughs> for you to go, you know what? Millwoods does not benefit from this initiative that's being uh, put forward by the councillor for Edmonton, West Edmonton Mall. Yeah. I assume that West Edmonton Mall is large enough to have its own councillor. <laughs> and, uh, and, and they should be able to vote against it, therefore, and to try to persuade some of their fellow councillors to vote against it. If, and if there's a party... That is a major impediment to being able to do that. Yeah. I, I mean, I just, I'm trying to think of like a situation in which, uh, let's say Edmonton goes to the party system municipally. Can you imagine? Nothing would end up getting done. Nothing would happen because it's not so simple to say, well, we need to, I'm, I'm really breaking it down simply. On the right, we need to spend less and privatize the shit out of everything. I'm obviously a liberal, a small L liberal everybody. So there you go. And then on the on the on the on the left, you got people saying we're going to tax the shit out of everybody and build a bunch of crap that nobody needs. So you see I'm, I'm actually a centrist, I guess. Um, but I can't imagine voting along those lines. I mean, I think that there are elements within our municipal government that are at times deeply conservative and deeply liberal. But they don't make their decisions based on a, a rigid set of value on the political spectrum. And here's another thing that a friend of mine who, uh, who um, I've known for a couple of years said, we're, we're taking a course together uh, in Calgary. And he said, he said, the problem with the political spectrum is that it only, it only rests along one dimension. There's an axis that's missing there that would paint a more complete picture of the way that people live their lives and consequently the way they think about politics. Um, thank the gods we don't do the party thing at the municipal level because I think we would be supremely screwed. I don't think we'd be building LRTs. I don't think we'd be building arenas, whatever you think of both of those projects. And we certainly wouldn't have an art gallery, which I have to say... Is probably one of the most recognizable buildings in the city. At present. If not City Hall, certainly that. Anyway, uh, who knew that a discussion about the weather would turn into a discussion about politics? That's just the way we roll. Yeah, I think you, knew, the unknown you knew that that was going to happen. Well, that's because I'm a little prescient. Yeah, though, so. yeah, it's a gift. It is definitely a gift. Uh, so, 
Spring is coming, Scott. Mm-hmm. What big plans do you have? Is it, spring is a, a time of rejuvenation. Um, how are you going to rejuvenate? Hopefully by getting rid of this cough. Yes. That is first and foremost on my list of things to do. And what else? What do you think? Are you taking any vacations or anything? Uh, not in the springtime. However, uh, Anita and I have uh, begun planning for our honeymoon. Uh, as many of you, obviously, repeat listeners, are aware, um, Anita and I wed back in October. I am now uh, a married man. I have a wife. And uh, we have not yet gone on a proper honeymoon. We took a few days off after the wedding to go away and just wind down. You, you need some time to, to relax after that. But we didn't go on a trip. We didn't go and do anything particularly opulent or, or anything. Uh, and we had intended to go on a cruise Ooh. for a proper honeymoon, probably sometime we were thinking early this year. Didn't materialize. Partly because uh, we're both very busy and uh, partly because we aren't certain we have enough money squirreled away for it. Sure. Uh, so uh, we have finally uh, planned to go in time for essentially our first anniversary. Ah. So uh, in mid-October, we're going to be going for 12 days uh, to the Mediterranean Ooh. for a cruise along the, uh, I'm going to say the European coast, because uh, let's be honest, the north part of Africa is a bit of a war zone right you're, now. You're staying the hell away from, from Africa. Uh, from Libya and Egypt, <laughs> um, because people are being shot. Yeah. And we don't want to be amongst them. That, that's Which that's is a fair. shame. I would like to see Egypt. I would have loved to have seen the pyramids, but... I'm just uncomfortable going while the military and is clashing with c- civilians. That just, and I, I've been told it's safe enough for tourists. So I'm not trying to discourage anybody who's got plans to go to Egypt. It's just we decided maybe it was safer not to. Wait for the Arab summer after the Arab spring. No, no, no. We're not calling it that. No. Okay. Uh, but we are uh, we are starting in Spain and then traveling along the coast as far as Istanbul, nice. and then uh, we come back and end in Venice. And uh, we're looking forward to it. It'll be good. So um, you'll stop in it at port towns on the way, indeed, uh, variously. And obviously, I intend to bring some recording equipment so that I can uh, talk to the old people. Uh, talk to talk <laughs> live, almost live. From the Mediterranean for our podcast. That'll be great. We can do, uh, we can, I'm not taking any big vacations this summer, but I imagine I'll be on various trips. We could do in the, in the fall when you come back a uh, summer vacation episode. I think we should. I think that'd be great because, um, the, well, the only place I'm planning to go right now is Vancouver. Uh, Rachel's friend is, best friend is getting married. And um, uh, so we'll be down there for that. Um, so certainly there, and and then who knows what else? Weekend trips here and there. I mean, really need to start. I really need to start talking to people because I always have these interesting conversations with with random folks. And you know, I mean, I was in Canmore a couple weekends ago in a candy store and just spent about five minutes chatting with the girl behind the till about chocolate and asked her why the fuck there wasn't any Dutch chocolate there. <laughs> she didn't have a good explanation, but it was an interesting conversation. And isn't that what this is all about? Interesting conversations, admittedly, usually with people in Edmonton. That's right. Not on boats overseas or in Vancouver on the coast. But we could probably bring it back to Edmonton by simply asking, have you ever been? No. Would you ever go? Probably not. Okay, it's been great talking to you. This is the Unknown Studio. 
30 so standing here in the shadow day. of the uh, Roman Colosseum, would you ever visit Edmonton? What's in Edmonton? You mean the suburb of London where where young uh, immigrant people are getting killed and cars firebombed? No. Is, no, that's not the Edmonton he was talking uh, I mean, about. I mean Edmonton in the frozen northern wasteland of Canada. It's With not. its giant mall and its aluminum baseball bat. That spins. You know that baseball bat turns around. Yeah, I sure do. I didn't know that. I didn't know that until... Brittany LeBlanc uh, and Mike Otto, so friends of the podcast, were hanging out there at, uh, I believe, Mike girlfriend's, Mike's girlfriend's birthday. It was during a festival on Alberta Avenue. Is that what it's called? 118th Ave? Anyway, they were hanging out down there, and they, f- they went up to the baseball bat, realized that it spun around. Edmonton got 10% better that day, ladies and gentlemen. They want to make T-shirts and have a club. Of the spinning bat? Yep. Yeah, that's a great idea for Edmonton. And now he's drinking beer. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, I need a swig of that. Yeah, so it's spring. I'm excited. And and this was the weekend where we we sprung ahead. When we're recording this. That's right. That's right. So So don't change your clock (laughs) the weekend after you hear this podcast. You've been late for everything already, everybody. So, you're a fucking idiot. You should have known better, et cetera. Do you think daylight savings time is a good idea? Or do you think we should be like Saskatchewan and just be like, whatever? You know, man, when I drove over here uh, to come record, Scott and I usually do this in the evenings because he works during the day. Well, so do I. Um... It was bright out still. I didn't even need to turn my headlights on. Um, and I don't know. I, I feel like <laughs> I'm not speaking for all Edmontonians here, but I do feel like I really like dramatic change. So we don't have a spring, as you know. We go directly from winter to summer. More or less. And there's basically no autumn uh, because we go from summer to winter. But we go from summer to a week where the leaves turn red and then a strong breeze comes by <laughs> and we have sticks. And then the snow starts. There's got to be a name for that. Autumn, I think, is yeah. actually what it is. But no, I mean, I, I, so, so, I, I mean, when I woke up this morning, I didn't realize un, until I didn't realize that things had changed because on my phone, everything just switches by itself. Until I got into the kitchen and realized the time on my phone was different from the time on the stove. Um, and I was like, oh, that sucks. But I was like, oh, I really didn't notice it. And oh, by the way, it's really bright and sunny out. And when I drove here, it was bright out. I, li- I think I like that. The utility of daylight savings, I can't speak to. Because originally, it was a thing for farmers, wasn't it? Saskatchewan's got a lot of farmers. In fact, you might say it's one of their primary industries, other than oil discovery, like here. Um, they don't do it. Now, they're either really fucking smart are really fucking dumb. And I've been to Saskatchewan, and I can tell you there are a lot of smart people there. And that's all. So I don't know, man. What do you? How do you feel about daylight savings? Is it useful to us? Um, I'm going to say no. Okay. I'm, and I mean, I'm, I'm not advocating that we abolish daylight savings time. And I fundamentally understand why it's there. It's to allow for more daylight. Um, but I feel that we don't really, that the majority of people, it doesn't really impact their lives. The only way that it impacts their lives is the morning they wake up and realize they have to change their clocks 
and or that they are now late for an appointment. Yeah. And I feel that that is the extent of it. And yeah, I don't I don't really see the utility. I mean, from an urban perspective, really, we haven't needed daylight saving times for decades because we've got these, you know, lights in the street turn on yeah when it's dark and and yeah okay i'm not speaking to this the sort of psychology or the state of mind bit of it um certainly it benefits farmers and that's great i guess does it benefit farmers or does it just mean they need to change their schedule as you pointed out in saskatchewan where there are farmers i'm told they don't really do daylight savings time at all. I just told you there were farmers there. That's how you know that. It's it's true. And now, I remember hearing I something. I thought they had a high-tech industry. <laughs> they might. Actually, I don't know. I mean, you could argue that Edmonton sort of does with uh, with uh, Edmonton Champions and, and Startup Edmonton and those kinds of things, but probably wouldn't really regard this market as it. Anyway, um, I remember, uh, I think it was last year or the year before, it might have been the Obama government or, or some, some agency in the United States suggesting that we should get rid of daylight savings times, something about energy costs. Do you remember something like this? I remember hearing something. I don't know. It was the states, though. There's some part of my brain that's making me think it might have been the UK, but I could be wrong. Those wily, wily limeys. But I, I do remember someone certainly was talking about doing away with daylight savings time. Well, we haven't heard from that person in a long time, so... We assume that they've been taken out by the daylight saving conspiracy? It's a, it's a guild. There's got to be a the guild. The daylight saving guild? Yeah. It's a Da Vinci Code-like story that's going to be told. Now, I'm curious, with all this daylight that we've saved, do we get interest on it? Have we... How much How much daylight do we have left? I think it... I, I'm not sure what the prime rate is for daylight. I think you need to go to your bank. So what you need to do, listener, is you need to go to your bank, you need to inquire about how much daylight you've saved up, and then maybe sometime during the summer when you're having a party, it's running late, you make a withdrawal, Yeah, you have a little more daylight. And, and here's, here's an idea for you. Um, in order to, to increase the savings of daylight that you have, uh, just throw it into a short-term GIC, and away you go. There you go. So you can have really fucking long parties that don't ever end. What, what are we talking about? Saving daylight? With banks. Yes. <laughs> it's a revolution, ladies and gentlemen. A, this re- a revolution of the earth. <laughs> <laughs> you nerd. You fabulous nerd. This is what happens. When we drink beer and don't have a guest. Don't, add, don't have guests. Are you looking for current, relevant, highly specialized digital media instruction? You need to seek out... The Guru. Guru Digital Arts College offers intense six-month programs that simulate real-world projects. You'll work in small classes in a casual professional environment and meet industry pros who offer a mentor-style approach to learning. Some institutions make the same claim, but with Guru, you'll develop the confidence to get out and become a part of the digital media community. Come visit us anytime. Check out a class, talk with our instructors, and be part of the Guru experience. For more information, email info at gurudigitalarts.com or call 1-877-429-4878. Welcome to Edmonton, a city. So this month we decided to uh, take a little bit more of a serious 
Bend on the podcast and the um, genesis of this idea was actually around Christmas for me when I was driving north on 101st Street out of downtown and I noticed how strange it was that uh, on the right hand side of the road there was the new Epcor Tower with its steel and marble and the blue fluorescent lights that uh, go out at night and then less than 100 meters away on the left hand side was the Boyle Street Community Center. And so I found that it would be a really interesting uh, and strange clash almost and wanted to learn a little bit more about 101st Street rejuvenation. John, what do you think that says about the face of our city and how it's changing right now? I don't really know. (laughs) I mean, like you have downtown kind of coming up against an area with like a lower socioeconomic status, which isn't a bad thing, of course. So to find out more about how the downtown development has influenced the community around that area, I went down to Boyle Street Community Centre and talked to David Berger, who's the Deputy Director of Boyle Street, to get his thoughts on the matter. Uh, We've had a number of open houses uh, at their initiative at their uh, previous office uh, last summer. So it was an opportunity for EPCOR employees to meet us and talk about moving into the neighborhood and uh, what it might be like to move into this part of town from where they were on Jasper Avenue. So that was a very good start to uh, the relationship with EPCOR. And actually, uh, I'd have to say that uh, uh, we've had no uh, issues that have been reported uh, to me or I think anyone else at Boyle Street about any concerns since they've moved in in the, in the late fall. Uh, and I think EPCOR wants to be a good neighbor, and, uh, and they're proving to be a good neighbor. And uh, they've supported us in uh, uh, one of our projects, for example. Uh, we have a literacy project here that uh, the EPCOR Essential, uh, Essentials Council has uh, uh, supported. And uh, we're kind of looking forward to all of us living together in this neighborhood. So now, do you, do you think it will change kind of the d- dynamic of the homeless population in Edmonton because I know that I would imagine with Boyle Street here and then there's also Mustard Seed, Herb Jameson also in this general area. Yeah, uh, well I, I think some of our community members that uh, come to Boyle Street and uh, you know, come to the Bissell Center or come to the Hope Mission uh, will have to be concerned about the change because there are uh, parts of uh, downtown, uh, Churchill Square for example, some of the malls where uh, the people we work with who are typically uh, homeless and and, uh, marginalized by the larger society are not made to feel welcome and uh, community centers such as Boyle Street and other Bissell and Hope Mission uh, is where our folks do feel uh, welcome and they don't want to be pushed out. So now how do you see that um, with the arena district and kind of shopping district that's come, that would be coming in, how do you see that, um, how would they be made to feel welcome? Well, uh, a vibrant city includes uh, a broad range of people yeah. mixing with each other. A poor city is where you start to segregate populations mm-hmm. uh, and you end up with gentrification and people that are maybe low income or otherwise marginalized having to shift away. And this is, a, in our view, a, if Edmonton is to be an inclusive community, this is a chance to walk the talk. 
there's no reason to say that uh, the downtown core that includes a mix of socioeconomic uh, uh, groups uh, and cultural groups uh, uh, would not enrich the community. Along with that, uh, I wanted to ask about um, so City Council's currently in the middle of the 10-year plan to end homelessness. Yes. And so how do you f think that this 101st Street rejuvenation will impact that plan and are they compatible? I don't see that they're incompatible. I mean, the 10-year plan is a broad yeah. scheme to find housing for, for people who are homeless and provide the supports. Uh, for people who are homeless and for people who need affordable housing too. And it's not all going to happen anyways, and it shouldn't happen all in the downtown or the inner city. Uh, I mean, we're housing people all over the city that are homeless, that were formerly homeless, and want to live, uh, you know, with their fellow Edmontonians in all parts of Edmonton, from Mill Woods to the far west end. All, all the housing first agencies that deliver the service to keep people housed are, are learning as well and uh, uh, you know the you know there's another eight years to go to deal with the issue and in the process we're about to enter probably a period of some considerable economic growth mm -hmm. and that will present challenges of its own to affordability for example of housing uh, just as uh, to the extent that people do want to stay in the inner core to live uh, the, the development of uh, um, arts facilities and sports facilities and the entertainment center will probably affect uh, affordability. But recognizing that a lot of the people we work with, and not just Boyle Street, but other agencies, want to live elsewhere. Don't yeah. particularly want to live, uh, uh, you know, where the where we are located. Are happy to come here to access services, but don't necessarily want to live in the inner core. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we'd like to live away from, you know, some of the, uh, the challenges and triggers of, of the uh, downtown core. I figured that I'd like to talk about this further, this issue of the 10-year plan to end homelessness in the city. I talked to Susan McGee with Homeward Trust Edmonton about her organization's work to implement the 10-year plan and actually work towards ending homelessness in Edmonton in the next 10 years. It's not unusual to find somebody who hasn't had a home in a long time not do so well in the first home they get. Absolutely. But we, we actually, you know, the, the workers find them a second, another alternative, maybe in a better neighborhood for them. So, you know, there's a learning and those people get rehoused. So just those, those targets being exceeded so dramatically and rolling out a program has been, has been huge. In the community as a whole, having a shift in possibility thinking, you know, that ending yeah. homelessness is actually something we can do. Yeah. You know, like every time we house somebody who's been living on the street for 10 years, and they end up maintaining their housing and getting on the right income supports and shopping in their local grocery store. People are like, it's been a pretty great, I think, accomplishment for the community. It's involved tons of people working together. What uh, affects homeless numbers in Edmonton? For example, like 2000, it was down at oh, just around 1,000, and then it spiked in 2008 at oh, 3,000. Well, I, you know, so much of this work is actually crystal ball stuff. I mean, I can give you really good evidence to support individual uh, stories. Yeah. But when we put them all together, we end up guessing a lot. And um, the fact is we live in a community that has uh, boom-bust cycles uh, where we've had lots of different uh, changes in government policy. Um, there's things that significantly impact levels of support. The, um, there was, you know, changes um, to deinstitutionalizing uh, people with mental health needs and mm -hmm. 
you know, it sounds really great. It's actually something that on, on paper and conceptually would be very much supported by the way that we do our business and that people do better in community. But deinstitutionalizing them and then thinking that their families can take care of them without adequate support um, hurt families and hurt people. So, you know, there's different stories that contributed to different kind of, you know, you can admission. There's, there's many guys who are in their 50s who, have, when they were 17, were probably making more money than they've made the rest of their lives because it was the 70s and they were, you know, dropped out of high school and Ricks. were making, like, tons of money in Fort Mac, right? And so... And I don't want this to, like, this to sound like a, uh, a judgment about anybody. It's just that boom-bust cycle does create um, cyclical expectations, too, amongst people. You know, when we look at the decline in homelessness, when we did the count two years ago, it was a sharp decline. And I'm, I really am not betting on what the count will be this time around. Yeah. We also know that our capacity is kind of, you know, right now we can only house so many people a month because people need to graduate out of the program. So we're not kind of on that trajectory. We're plateauing a bit. And I don't know that, for instance, 2010 was such an anomaly or 2008 was an anomaly. So if you look at it, it's like, did, did 2008 just really spike because of all of those contributing factors? I mean, we had lots of people who came to this province looking for um, streets of gold with 50 bucks in their pocket and no jobs. So, um, you know, that was a reality of staying in a shelter for the first time in their life. So was that the circumstances in 2008 that created a real spike or did in fact, you know, we have that much of an impact in two years on the homeless population? that just about wraps up this episode of Edmonton City. Uh, the contributors to this podcast have been Simon Yakulik, uh, John Kamech, myself, Matt Hergy, and our producer, Sam Brooks. Uh, back to you, Unknown Studio. We're in Mountain City That's what the sign says I plead your mercy and your pity it's not life for Scott, the next time we don't have a guest, we should do this in a pub. We've done that before. We have, yeah. Um, and I don't know about <laughs> you, Scott, but I'm fond of the next act. I know you go there pretty often. Now, interesting that you bring up the next act. Okay. They have a food truck. Yes, coming. they do. That's right. You were going there, too. I was. You? Well, I was I was there for brunch uh, this past weekend. I still haven't uh, had an opportunity to go and enjoy their brunch. Oh, man, you have But to I'm go. told it's very good. It is really good. You know how they do things with pulled pork that most other places don't do? Yeah. That's their brunch. Yeah. Just, just have, um, the, have the pulled pork melt. They also apparently have good family dinners. I've heard this. Yeah. Uh, every, I believe it's month, they have like a sit-down family dinner in their pub on Sunday night where you, you, uh, you have to reserve because yep. they only have so many places, obviously. And then you get... Like a roast beef dinner with mashed potatoes and, and dessert and, and dessert, I and uh, it's not always roast beef. I'm not trying to say that's excuse me what it always is. They they change it up, but um, 
yeah, the next act does some interesting things. Yeah, I, I, I remember when the the act was sold to the owners, Mike and Salish, right now, thinking, oh, shit, what's going to happen to this place? Because it was delightfully dodgy. <laughs> you, do you know what I mean? Like it was. It was your... well. The next act has always been uh, kind of regarded as the as the theater pub yeah. in Edmonton, and yeah. that's because it's kind of in the heart of Old Strathcona's theater district. So most actors getting out of a show or finishing up rehearsal or whatever, uh, and s- audience members will wander over there. And uh, back in the day, it was I wouldn't say dodgy, but well, it was not. It it was unkempt. Sure, can we say that it was? I mean, it was a little run down, and the food was kind of your traditional pub fare. No, it wasn't bad though. It wasn't. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't great. No, that's right. It wasn't good. That's fair. Um, <laughs> it wasn't. Mediocre. But when the new owners took over, they really turned that place around, what? and it's become. It's become. I want to say trendy. Yeah. Like the 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 menu is is fresh and delicious and shows the care that they put into the food. They didn't renovate the whole place, but they renovated it just enough to uh, make it a little brighter and to make it friendlier. Um, and I mean, every time I go there, it's packed. Yeah, same here. I mean, when we went for brunch this past weekend, we were the first ones there because they opened at 11 on, on Sunday morning. And um, and gradually the place got busier and busier. By the time we left, all the tables around the sort of outer perimeter were full and, and the inside tables were starting to fill up. It was brilliant. And, um, I mean, they've got great beers on tap. They make a great coffee. The food is excellent. And now they are taking it to the streets. So you can actually follow, I think it's The Next Act Truck on Twitter. And this, they, I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, you'll have to maybe look it up. But um, this is a great experiment for them. It's, it is their Excelsior in a lot of ways as they sort of move into the food truck space. And when I talked with Salish about it, you know, I said, are you going to be doing anything like crazy? And she said, no, it's it's going to be our menu, but trimmed down, of course. Cause a, little, a little bit smaller portions. Yeah. and But, I mean, it's still the act's great food somewhere out on the streets of Edmonton. It's a great she, idea. She mentioned they might have one or two truck specials. I, an exclusive? Uh, I think that'd maybe, be a great maybe idea. Like a, an ex- maybe a different cameo burger for just the truck or something. Now, explain the cameo burger. I know, okay. okay, before you go on. All their burgers are named after actor things. That's right, yeah. Um, it's And they, to try to keep with kind of the theme. Uh, so they've got like their producer burger and their actor burger and their writer burger. And they're, they're, that's just on the regular menu and they all have different stuff on them. And they're all delicious. They, they make a fantastic hamburger at the next act. Um, but every week... They have a different cameo burger. And, of course, a cameo is a special guest. Yes. Something in the background. Um, and their cameo burger is always different, and it's usually amazing. And they will come up with some crazy stuff. They had one which was the uh, Lord of the Rings burger, which had onion rings on it. Yeah. They had their Nacho Libre burger, which was like guacamole and salsa and nacho chips on it. Um, they recently had uh, their most recent one to uh, this recording that I had was their Reservoir Dog, which was a big hot dog with cheese and with like jack cheese on it and uh, sauerkraut and uh, grainy mustard. It was delicious. Sounds fantastic. And all of their cameo burgers are generally fantastic. So uh, that's, they change up their menu. They, they have a special hamburger every week. 
Yeah, and you know that one of the other things that I love about that place, and by the way, you guys, they're not paying us to say any of this stuff. This actually, Scott and I have always gone, almost always, to the next act to plan the podcast when we actually plan it, or just to you know <coughs> eat nachos that have pulled pork on them. So they're and they're my, a great local place. And my uh, my friend Stan, uh, Stan Wu. I don't know if he's been on the uh, on the show before, uh, and I usually go on Thursdays mm-hmm. to uh, what has. What used to be called uh, Thursday Wing Night until the next act stopped having a, a wing special on Thursdays. And then he uh, posited with several friends to determine what the new going to the next act every Thursday should be called. And someone mockingly suggested it just be named Melvin. And that is why there is now Thursday Night Melvin. Like just give it a proper noun. Yep. For a name. Randomly. So uh, Thursday Night Melvin at the next act. Uh, you will almost always find me there. You will sometimes find Adam there. Rarely, but you will. Yeah. You will have a 100% chance of seeing Stanley Wu there. He is a, an Asian man, probably limping with a cane and oh, blue hair. That's not good. He's blue hair now. He's had blue hair for a long time. Um, <laughs> Still limping, though. Yes. Oh, uh, but, uh, yes, so that's... What we're saying is we're regulars at the next And day. we're also saying that food trucks are exciting. Actually, uh, just last week, uh, Drift Food Truck got back on the streets at 108th Street, just south of Jasper Avenue. Um, so for those of you, uh, usually only during the, the sort of, uh, not l- only the lunch hour, but usually 11 to 2, um, they make really excellent sandwiches with, like, uh, last week they had jerk chicken, they had braised pork shoulder, roast beef, all this really excellent stuff. And the buns are so, so good. I have an interesting food truck story. I want to hear this. Uh, we were watching Eat Street. Uh, Anita and I often watch the Food Network. It's our total guilty pleasure uh, go-to channel. There's usually something on the Food Network that we'll enjoy watching, and it usually makes us hungry. <laughs> um, but we we were watching Eat Street, which is, uh, if you've never seen it, a show about food trucks. And uh, they uh, cover most of North America. So they, they do mostly the United States, but they'll occasionally delve into Canada. Food trucks aren't as big up here. And the reason food trucks aren't as big in Canada is because we have this season called winter where uh, the streets become treacherous and people don't like to go outside and food truck business kind of drops off. Um, but, but it is starting to pick up. Um, they went to Vancouver, and I can't for the life of me remember the name of the food truck now. But we were watching, and Anita noted that one of the people who had founded the food truck had been in her theater class. And... Uh, was just amazed. Wow. So, yeah. An Edmonton connection to a Vancouver food truck? Indeed. Fantastic. So, uh, I, I can't recall the name of the food truck, unfortunately, but, uh, but that was the case. She was quite surprised that she recognized a food truck owner from Vancouver. <laughs> uh, and it looked like they had good food, too. And they had a pulled pork sandwich, as a matter of fact. Do I like pulled pork sandwiches. Can you remember? Oh, yeah, it's so good. Can you remember the name of the food truck? Because when I'm no, down there this summer, can't. Oh, we'll, we'll have to ask Anita. Um, I do know that that Calgary's food truck scene is, shall we say, a little bit more robust than Edmonton's is. Um, But I feel like this might be the summer of the food truck for us. Uh, It's definitely starting to pick up in Edmonton. There's been a bit of a food truck boom. Uh, Actually, Scott was telling the story about uh, the food truck that... uh, that, uh, Anita's theater friend worked at. Anita just came down into the studio... Anita, do you remember? Hi, do you remember the name of the of the food truck in Vancouver that your your theater? Oh, Brianna Buckmaster. 
That's that's a weird name for a food. <laughs> that, that was the uh, that was the the <laughs> no, theater that was, person that, was that my she recognized. Friend. What was the name of the food truck? <coughs> I honestly don't. Scott know. said they had a fantastic. We could probably find it on the sandwich. internet. Yeah. I'm sure we could. It was something. It was something simple and bold. Simple bold food. The best food truck in Van City. Dive or crave or something. Hmm. Ladies and gentlemen. I don't remember. Ladies and gentlemen, Anita Bourgeois. Have you changed your last name yet? I have. Well, I'm Ooh. trying. Is that? It, tell me about that process. Is that a long process? Uh, it it is now because I'm. It's not like I'm going for my first credit card and I can just put my new name on it. <laughs> I have to replace my credit card. I have to replace my driver's license. I have to phone all the utility companies and change my name. I have to change everything. Sounds expensive. It can be when you need a new passport. It's called re-up barbecue. Re-up barbecue? Re-up barbecue. Okay. I was wrong about the Crave thing. All My right. bad. That's okay. So, ladies and gentlemen, I need a bourgeois. <laughs> <laughs> I went to the internet and found that. You and did. possibly cut off a conversation. I apologize. No, it's fine. Um, it was a tangent. Really. It, it was really, a t- you know, this show is all tangents anyway. Well, certainly this episode, more so than even others. Yes. Is very tangential. Tan- Tan- tangential. Tangenital. You aren't wearing pants. Tanned genitals is where I was going with that, ladies and gentlemen. And I think on that note, we can call it a show. Obviously, there's no one to Fast 15. That's, we've Fast 15 each other before. Yeah, we vigorously Fast 15 each other every we've week. We've Fast 15 to Nita before, too. Yeah, it, it was violent. So uh, there's there's no one to Fast 15. <laughs> we could Fast 15 the Granville Island Brockton India Pale Ale. But it would not answer our questions yeah. because it is not sentient. It would mostly be fruitless. So we won't fast 15 anybody. But next time you hear this show, we'll hopefully be talking about video games, among other things, with actual guests. So you don't have to listen to Scott and I drone on and on. So thanks for listening. Indeed. And uh, be sure to tune in next time. You've been listening to The Unknown Studio, episode 65, pre-production by Adam Rosenhart, post-production by Scott C. Bourgeois. The Unknown Studio is a proud member of the League of Extraordinary Media. You can visit us on the web at theunknownstudio.ca. Thanks for listening. Hey, Scott. Yes, Adam. Are you excited for the new season of Game of Thrones? Yes. I was trying to think of something funny to say. Let's do a different one.